Hey guys, welcome to the Twiniversity Podcast, a show created exclusively for parents of twins. I am your host, Natalie Diaz. I am a mom of twins. I am also the Twiniversity founder, and I am the best-selling author of the book, What to Do When You're Having Two. Our goal at Twiniversity is to make sure that you always feel connected, we laugh at the little things, and we really do get to teach you a few tricks along the way. And that is what we hope this podcast is about to do. So welcome to Twiniversity. To bank or not to bank, that is the question. Sure, this may not have been a a problem in Shakespearean times, but it certainly is a question that comes up all the time now. So if you're currently pregnant with twins, you got to make sure that you do your research on banking your twinies cord blood. A great place to start is at cordblood.com. That's the website of our friends over at Cord Blood Registry. Your newborn's umbilical cord blood contains powerful stem cells that have been used to regenerate healthy blood and immune systems in transplant medicine. These stem cells are also being investigated for their potential use in regenerative medicine. Preserving your child's newborn stem cells at birth is an opportunity to provide access to current and potential future stem cell treatment options for your family. So learn more today at cordblood.com or call one 888 cordblood Use code DUO2 for special twins pricing through Twiniversity. Lullaby and good night. Don't fall asleep during this podcast. Hey, it's me. Wake up, whatever you're doing, because it's time that we buckle down and get down to some sleep business. Today, I am speaking to one of my besties, Miss Kim West. I don't know if you know her. You may know her as the sleep lady. She's been on the Learning Channel, CNN, Good Morning America. She's been in the Wall Street Journal. She's been on Dr. Phil, the Today Show. Seriously, I can't keep up with her because... Learning about what she does every day just makes me tired. And that's not how she actually helps people. She helps people through her books, her e-courses, her blogs. She has local coaches all over the world. And she has the Don't Cry It Out uh, Sleep Lady Shuffle Solution. Kim, that's a mouthful. But that's your intro. And I hope you like it. And I love the song, too. Thank you, Kim. I try never to sing because I think it would drive make people want to drive off a road. And that's never safe because I only listen to podcasts in the car. So I always think like somebody else's too. Kim, today, by the way, we had very little direction on what we wanted to talk to you about today. But the good thing is, is because Kim and I on a lot of things share a brain a lot of different ways. Yeah. And our love has been going strong now for years. Yeah, this love affair between the sleep lady and Twiniversity, yeah. it's been since day one. It's rock solid. When basically we were put on a stage with super opposing views, and that just made it work because we loved I'm each so other. Proud of us for that in that moment. <laughs> Me too, especially for like people like that we've never met. And they're like, here's what's going to happen. And you're like, so organized. You're like, well, I figured you'd do this. And I'm like, sure, whatevs. <laughs> Let's just go with the flow. <laughs> I loved it. So uh, she's the yin to my yang, guys. And where I am definitely rough around the edges, like quite hardcore parenting in a lot of 
like a lot of ways. Kim is too, because you are. You really are. You've raised your kids, even the one that I still don't believe exists because I've never met her. Uh, her kids are extraordinary. So she's not only done a good job professionally with her career, but as a mom, I have so much admiration and respect. She's really, she's, she's, she wins on there. She lets her kids do things that I would be like, no, you're never traveling. You're going to live under my roof forever. So today we're going to talk about, um, let's talk about early rising. That's going to be our big topic of the day. This comes up a lot, especially in the world of multiples. So today's topic, if we're going to be like official, is welcome to the podcast on how to deal with your early riser. Now, I know that the saying goes, early to bed, early to rise, makes a girl healthy, wealthy, and wise. I don't know if that's the saying. Is it? <laughs> that is the saying. Very good. I don't, I don't know if it applies so much to... Mm. To babies, but not at all. It's the opposite. No way, man. I don't want that kid getting up at four o'clock in the morning when he or she thinks that it's seven. Mm-hmm. Kim, what am I going to do here? Let's let's set the oh, scene. Let's set the scene. Yeah. I'm, so I'm, let's first let's first define early rising, right? Please. Because there's a morning bird, right, or the morning lark, and then the night owl. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it. And then there are the kids that are waking up too early, right? So let's just go quickly to the the owl and the lark. Um, So there is, they say, a genetic component to whether you are, which one you're going to be. So both your parents, let's say, were morning birds, then, you know, more than likely your children will, will be morning birds. And they do say you are, you know, born with this. Like, I would say I'm a night owl. Um, and, and it was very, and it's very hard to kind of switch that. So even though you kind of have to to manage life, right. Can't stay up till four in the morning if you have to get up early. So, but, but that issue when parents say, well, maybe my, my baby's just a morning bird. She just gets up at five. You know, I always, I always say, look, five, it's dark out unless you're in certain parts of the world Mm -hmm. where it's not, or certain times of the year. But what you want to look at is, does your child wake up at, I always say the cutoff is 6, 6 a.m., having had a good night's sleep, rested, and ready for the day, right? Not falling apart 45 minutes later or anything like that. Then it may be that you do have a morning bird. And then I always look to see if one of the parents is a morning bird, and then I put that parent on morning duty. Um, so that's a, that's slightly different mm-hmm. if, um, than the problem of early rising. So I consider early rising to be when your child is waking up before 6 a.m. and not rested, mm-hmm. right? And needing you usually to do something to them or for them to help them go back to sleep. Um, and it's even more problematic, or, or at least for us, it is as parents when you're, you have a child in a bed who's like, you know, arriving in your room maybe multiple times during the night, or maybe they don't. They sleep largely through the night, but they're up at 4, 5 a.m. You know, come lie down with me, or more than likely, can I just get into bed with you? So that's what I call early rising. Okay. So. Early rising has four, and maybe I should say five, 
causes. Okay. You don't need all of them. Sometimes you, but usually you'll see more than one. Um, so the first one, and it, this is not in order of priority or which one is more common. The first one is going to bed too late, which isn't really logical. Like me, I'm thinking, well, if I go to bed late, I'll sleep in. Um, and then that makes sense back when you were a teenager in college um, or before you had kids. But it's not true for, for babies and young children under the age of eight. Okay. Um, you really do need to go to bed early enough so that you can sleep through the night. And the reason why is that we all have an internal clock called the circadian rhythm that tells us when to be awake and when to be asleep. When we operate off that clock, uh, then our body doesn't like it. So if I take a nap or try to take a nap at, let's say six to 8 PM, mm -hmm. not only will I have trouble, you know, going to sleep at night, but the nap also won't be as restorative yeah. because I'm sleeping at a time when we should be awake, right? This is why they call it, by the way, prime time for TV. Uh, because this is what they show is when the brain is awake. Okay. Um, again, not for babies, but it just shows you the rigidity of this clock, right? So it says you're supposed to, you know, be awake when you're supposed to be awake and asleep when you're supposed to be asleep. So then the other side of the coin would mean if I, um, particularly with our baby, if we keep our baby up later, yeah. hopes, yes. of course, in hopes that they'll sleep longer, which never works, unfortunately, um, then the body says, well, I don't see any signs of going to sleep mm -hmm. and they need to see darkness and a bedtime routine or yeah. what they call social cues. And if it doesn't see that, then it starts to secrete alerting hormones to keep the body awake because it's sort of the body saying, well, I guess it's not time to go to sleep. We need to stay safe and stay awake. And so that creates more awakenings during the night, more difficulty going to sleep and early rising. Go figure. Okay. So that's why we need to have an age appropriate bedtime. So one of the ways you can figure out uh, what time that would be for your child is you do what I call the math backwards. Okay. So let's say your two-year-old, um, which by the way, the average two-year-old, the, the two-year-old average sleep need is 11 hours at night. Okay. Give or take. Again, it's an average. Um, and let's say your two-year-old tends to wake up at, um, you know, 6 a.m. refreshed and ready to start the day, or maybe they have to get up at 6 a.m. because you have to get them to daycare, um, then they need to be asleep by seven. Okay. Right? So not like starting the routine. So, so hold on. What's my math here, though? Well, meaning that you, f you did the math backwards and that you figured you said, he has to be up at six or he tends to wake up at six. I know he needs 11 hours. So okay. how do I go backwards okay. to figure out the bedtime? And then each for each age, for the zero to six months, like where, uh -huh. where do the chunks come in? So if I know that I need 11 hours at two, mm -hmm. is it so, different for under six months over? Like how much do absolutely. I need? Absolutely. Yeah. So my blog, I have typical schedules for each age group and sleep needs. Okay. Averages. Also, I have it in my book too. Okay. Um, the Sleep Ladies Good Night Sleep Tight. So, you know, like for instance, a six month old needs about 11 and a half hours at night, three and a half during the day, 
right? So you mm-hmm. could do the math a little differently like that. I think it's harder for newborns because um, they're usually feeding during the night. Um, and they also don't have their circadian rhythm developed until around four months of age. So okay. we have to be their external clock. Not to get, I mean, we could honestly talk for hours about sleep. So I really could because I really, you, uh, I'm so frustrated because I just took that class, like I was telling you, right? So I'm now this lactation consultant is what I am. And in the class, they were so adamant about feeding on demand and no sleep schedule and everything. And it made me a, a little bit uncomfortable because mm-hmm. I, first of all, I don't think that it's realistic to not have a sleep schedule. We, especially with twins, I, I just don't think it's very realistic. And it made me sad for those families that perhaps are working with, um, you know, lactation people that are like, absolutely not. You feed on demand. This is what you do. And you wake them up and there's no sleeping. And uh, it's overwhelming. But you make so much sense of it all. So I've, I've read a lot of your blog posts. And of course, besides us talking, I follow you regularly and your newsletters and everything is so helpful to me and especially to our Twiniversity audience. So thank you. But I love that you're like, no, it's a learned skill. Like we're going to help these kids learn this. And since we weren't aware that we were learning when we were babies, when our parents were teaching us, it's not, you know, it shouldn't be expected of us to just assume that we know what we're doing. So coming to somebody right. like you and going to a page like you, it's, you know, it's filling in all those little uh, blank spaces in the question marks of parenting. So you give us right. these guidelines and you do have some really, really extraordinary schedules on your blog, which I love, which I'm telling yeah, you yeah. right now, I love them. They're but very I- popular because we all need some framework in our lives, right? Totally, totally. Especially so. when you have two. I mean, mm-hmm. to think that you're just going to fly by the seat of your pants the whole day is really unrealistic. And yeah. so Kim's like, listen, I see you parent of twins. I see you parent of, of triplets. Here's what we're going to do. Okay, so now we've kind of determined what our sleep needs are. We've determined what a good bedtime is for our children. But you still have that one kid who's getting up at 5.15 and the other one may be sleeping till 6, which we determine may be a good morning time. Yes. Okay. Well, 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 let's go through the rest of the causes, right? Okay. Because each parent who's listening to this can say, what you know, do, do does both or one of my twins or multiples experience this or are they having any of this okay and if i make these changes will it help okay eradicate the early rising which is the goal um but i want to remember to say one thing to you that you brought up and that is what's like a reasonable wake-up time Mm -hmm. because you know not everybody likes 6 a.m i personally would not like that um but usually it's between 6 and 7 30. Okay. Don't want, you know, you don't want wake up time all over the place mm-hmm. with very little babies um, and really children under seven. You kind of want it to be around in that range. Okay. Um, and what they say, even you and I should not change our bedtime and wake up by more than an hour, okay. um, even on the weekend, which is really hard to do. Um, so, so again, the one first cause that we discussed was too yes. late at the bedtime. 
And I just needed to give you a little science so we understood why, since it's not logic yeah. or logical. The second one is nap deprivation, which kind of makes sense given what I just said about that clock on the first cause. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the better nap they are during the day, the better rested and the better sleep they will have at night, mm -hmm. right? They won't have all that cortisol and stress and alerting hormones running through their system, facing bedtime, potentially too late of a bedtime, completely exhausted, right? Which will make them wake more during the night. So not nap deprived. Okay. And yes, depending on the age, right? You know, they go from four naps to three naps to two naps to one nap to no naps. So it depends on the age again you know, um, check out the schedules. So we don't want them nap deprived. As a matter of fact, when, and I know this, we differ ever so little bit slightly on this particular point, but when I sleep coat, when I help families sleep coach their children, um, I always sit, we used to, we start at bedtime mm -hmm. after a great day of naps, any way you can get them. So if it means you're, you know, putting your, your twins in, in the stroller and going for a you know, do it. Right. <laughs> just, just at do all it. Costs. Get them to sleep. So yeah. you could start at the night, not sleep deprived, which is going to screw up that whole going to bed too late. It really, it really makes sense. Yeah. It's, and it's, bedtime is also the easiest time to learn to put yourself to sleep. And I know we're not talking about sleep training, but I just want to say that little, that little side note. So not, not too late of a bedtime, uh, um, nap deprivation causes early rising. Mm -hmm. And then the third one that's related to naps is too big of a wakeful window from afternoon nap to bedtime. Okay. Okay. So for many years, it's four hours. Um, then, or I should say for a few years, it's, uh, it's four hours. It sometimes can go to five hours, but okay. in general, that's a nice number, four hours. So, so four hours know. from the time that we woke up from our afternoon nap to bedtime. Yep. So let's say 3 p.m. and then bedtime is seven. Okay. Right. Now, if you have a child that doesn't sleep through the night and you're doing sleep coaching, yeah. it, that might, that may be even too big of a oh. window. Okay. During the process, right? Because remember, because sleepy gets sleep. We want sleep yeah. to make us sleepy because if we get oversleepy, then our body just goes haywire. You get all those, got it, you know, hormones like having too much coffee before trying to go to bed. Mm. Okay, so that's the too big of a wakeful window. Okay, and the fourth cause, which is the kind of the one where parents have a hard, hardest time believing me that this is true, okay. uh, but it's probably the most sneaky cause of early rising and that is going to bed too drowsy so putting your child to bed into their crib or their bed already a little bit farther down the, on the sleep uh, journey than they should be okay so that um they cannot they haven't fully mastered the skill of okay. putting themselves to sleep yes, right? yes. And so if they haven't mastered it at the easiest time, bedtime, yes. how in the world are they going to do that at 5 a.m.? So I, I give you. this example to my parents. That is that for me, if I wake up at 5 a.m. and I'm awake a little too long, enough for my brain to go click on, think about the 700 things I need to remember to do, because God forbid I should actually write them down at that point. <laughs> Because then I don't want to turn on a light and wake yes. myself up more, yes. right? Forget it. There is no way I'm going back to sleep. 
-hmm. Okay. Because it's much harder. We haven't had, you know, we have what's called sleep pressure that builds and builds during the day to help us to go to sleep at night, along with those drowsy making hormones like melatonin. And of course that sleep pressure is dissipated come four or 5 a.m. Yeah. Right. So, so I always tell parents, like if they're having early rising, that's not budging. I always look to all of those. Is the bedtime too late? Are they getting enough naps? How's that wakeful window? Mm -hmm. And are they going down awake enough at bedtime to really master the skill of putting themselves to sleep? Okay. Absolutely critical. And you know, the thing is, is you have a really tired kid. uh, They can easily sort of like zone out during that last feeding or even while looking at a book. And I've even had um, toddlers like point to their crib, you put them in and, you know, in one minute, not even they roll to their side and they go to sleep and the parents are like, oh, well, he pointed to the crib, he was awake enough, but then they're up six times during the night. Mm. So usually we have to make them more awake um, at bedtime so they can master the skill. The fifth cause, which is not as common, um, but more common than a lot of people think is um, underlying medical conditions that can cause um, early rising. Um, If you as an adult um, or as a pregnant woman had reflux during your pregnancy, reflux can wake you up too early, um, literally by you refluxing. Um, But the more common one that I've seen uh, with children, which also happens with us as adults, is obstructive sleep apnea. Yes. Which is usually caused by enlarged tonsils and adenoids. Usually. There are other causes, but for our children, that's like the most common one. Mm-hmm. And you might but say- But it's still uncommon. Like it's the most common one of things that you've seen, but it's mm-hmm. not common. Like how common is it in general? 15%. 15%. Of kids, yeah. That's kind of bad. How did they determine that, Kim? That it determine which? Like, how what, do they do a sleep study on a child? Oh, how do they determine? Yeah. yeah. So, um, yes. Okay. You can get a you can get a sleep study. And what a sleep I, study I, is, guys, is you would speak to your pediatrician, and then they would basically refer you to a sleep clinic of where, as crazy as it sounds, you're monitored throughout the night of what your what your movements are, your respiration is. Though just they they watch you. There's somebody who literally is there, super stalky, oh. watching you sleep. So they would do this for a child as well. And the parent is allowed to sleep in the same room with the child. Beautiful, beautiful, yeah. beautiful. So that's yeah. what that is. If nobody knows what a sleep study is, mm-hmm. it's not that uncommon. And it's not and it's, painful. No, it's not difficult. Not. It's just you just got to sleep. It's like sleeping in a hotel for the night where basically somebody's watching you creepily. Well, you do have those things glued True. to you. Do you have any? So. Do the kids have them on their heads too? Yes. All right. Okay. So we can determine that. Speak to your pediatrician if you think that this may be an issue. And sometimes people have gone to their ENT, mm-hmm. ear, nose, and throat doc, and had them um, scope a little scoping action, a little scope for the adenoids and the tonsils. So just so you know, um, some of the top signs mm-hmm. of OSA is um, sweating during okay. sleep, okay, uh, restless sleep, like if they're in a bed, their sheets and blankets and pillows are, always end up on the floor. They may even 
fall off okay. of the bed. Um, and if you if they come into bed with you, which is not uncommon because they're waking up from yes. uh, obstructive sleep apnea, they're all over kicking you and flippity flop, right? And then the other one is snoring and or loud mouth breathing. Okay. So you don't have to snore to have obstructive sleep apnea. Okay. We're uh, going to do a whole podcast on that. You that should. I- we, and we, I not you. Not I wanted to talk to you. Maybe we'll get another person involved in our love affair, but I oh. don't know. But I, I do. I think we have to reference, we have to come back to that. But yep. while we've come to the perhaps causes of this, which of course, yep. ca- I almost can't speak English, which of course, that's what I'm looking to say, mm-hmm. is, um, you know, a, a definitely something that could be the reason why your kids are early risers or have this, you know, super duper early rising. But what if it doesn't happen regularly? It actually happens infrequently enough that I can't find a pattern. Uh, I would look to when you are seeing it, Mm -hmm. is it because of any of the things we just discussed? Did they have like several nights in a row too late of a bedtime? Okay. Or a bunch of bad nap days, you know? Yeah. Um, or I would you I would look to a pattern like that. I mean, sometimes it can be literally like whenever the garbage truck guys come, they that might, is like, totally something that nobody's thinking about. There are always, you know, out like factors that yeah. are fixable that and it may not even be a garbage truck. I knew that we had a family that I was working with and they're like, Nat, I can't find it. I can't find it. I was like, I said, are you awake during that time that the kids are waking up? And they're like, no. And so what we found, I was like, tomorrow, I was like, just listen, you never know what it is. There was a watch that they got as a gift that had the alarm set that was in a closet and it only buzzed for like, I don't know, seven minutes or something. And then it never went back on. So they had never uh, caught, and plus right. the, the sound right. was right. so low that when mm-hmm. the 20s were crying, they couldn't hear mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. and then it just went off. So right. I was like, arg, we worked oh, so that hard. was a good one. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that friggin' gift. So look for secret gifts that somebody gave somebody a watch, then, then of course they had no idea how to fix the watch, so they just got rid of it sometimes it's you know a common one i hear is that one of the parents um leaves for work or goes to the gym mm-hmm. before work really early and the pipes from the toilet or shower yep. like are in the wall next to the crib or bed you know funny things like that the other thing i think that also can really help is room darkening shades yes make sure that you can really darken that room because yes. that makes a big difference we were just working, somebody texted me over the weekend and they're like, I don't want to spend all this money. I was like, you don't, you don't have to spend like any money. So I said, there's, there's an expensive way and a cheap way. So sure we could get, you know, curtains for less or whatever it is for $1,500 to put in Roman shades. But I said, you could take a lawn bag with duct tape and you're literally set. So now we know we set the stage. We know the ideas of things that we could fix Still, I still have no idea what to do, Kim, mm-hmm. at five o'clock in the morning. What happens when 120 gets up, mm-hmm. if not both 20s? How do I handle this? Mm-hmm. So first, let's 
talk about this in babies in beds. Okay. And then children in, I mean, cribs. babies in cribs, cribs, excuse me. Yes. And children in beds. So with babies in cribs, if you are sleep coaching or training them, mm-hmm. um, early ri- the last two things to fall into place in sleep training is the afternoon naps okay. and early rising. And we should, we'll do another podcast just on naps alone. Love it. Um, so it's a common piece of the process, usually in week two, okay. um, where you'll see it. And so you treat all early rising like a night waking, right? Because anything before 6 a.m. is a night waking. So if you're doing fervor or you're doing extinction or you're doing the shuffle, whatever you're doing, and when they wake up at 11 or 1 or 5, it's all the same. Okay. Right? I mean, other than, of course, if you're doing night weaning. But let's just simplify it for, for this example. So... If, if your baby wakes up and, and yes, of course, the twins can wake each other up and one may not have early rising and one may. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time I sleep train multiples in the same room at night, at least. And we do some separation for naps if we have to and if we can. Um, so then I would just tell you to go into the, the twin who wakes or the multiple that wakes do whatever you're doing. If you're doing a time check or you're staying and doing the shuffle. And if they wake up the other one, then just, you just go over to the other one and reassure them too. Right. And I know it's a drag and it'll probably take a while for them to learn to go back to sleep. Um, but I promise you, if you're consistent, it will get better. Um, what you don't want to do is like quick, let me rock the one baby back to sleep so they don't wake up the other one because then you're reinforcing a problem in that one in order to avoid yes. one with the other one, right? Yes. So, and that happens even just with singleton siblings, mm-hmm. right? We can, you can easily fall into, into that pattern too. So that's one thing with uh, babies in cribs. And also, again, make sure you're addressing all the other things we talked about, mm-hmm. right? To make, to make sure that that goes away. And then you have to be super consistent. You do not get the baby out and start the day until after 6 a.m. It could be 6.01. Um, and I usually, if you do the shuffle, I'll tell you to leave the room, count to 10, go back in, turn on the light, get them up, completely change the association and, um, and start your day. Don't like immediately feed them in the dark room because their likelihood of going back to sleep is super duper high. And then you can potentially train them to cry for you to do that. Right. Again, I I could, we could talk about this for hours. So, um, so then you start the day and, and then you stay awake until the first nap, which shouldn't be before 8 a.m. Okay, so that is a little bit about what to do with babies. And I know that there's so much more we can talk about with this. Um, I'm trying to be conscientious of the time. Um, So then with kids in beds, I loved, and even honestly, you could do this with a toddler in a crib too. I love using wake up lights. So with kids in beds, I usually do sleep manner charts and some kind of toddler clock that basically says, you know, you have to stay in your bed until your wake up light comes on okay. or stay in your room quiet, however, whatever your goals are. And then you're like a broken record. When you go in, let's say at five, they're calling out to you or they're coming to your room and you walk them back and you say, Shh, your wake up light's not on. You have to get back in your bed. 
and stay in your bed quietly until wake up your wake up light comes on. And then in the morning, if they stay in their bed, then you go over that, like, look, the wake up light's on, right? You have to be really consistent, like a broken record <laughs> for really a couple solid weeks. And by the way, the older the child is, the longer it will take to improve early rising. Like I've seen it be like three or four weeks. That's okay. Three or four weeks is nothing in the nutshell of their life. So That's I know true. it seems like I try to remind people, especially with sleep issues, it seems like torture, but it is a drop in the bucket. And the one biggest mistake that I think new parents make is losing perspective. And you have to remember this too shall pass. We need to be consistent. This person just became a human like, you know, a few weeks, a few months, a few years ago. Cut them a little bit of slack and teach right. them the right way to be. Because by you losing your patience, that is certainly not teaching them the lesson. And if you get upset, like if you go into that room and say, why are you up? Why are you, you know, that is really not helping anything. Like if my husband came in at five o'clock and started yelling at me. I don't know how relaxed I'd be to fall back asleep. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a tough one though. You know, we, this first sleep deprived, we all get a little agitated and oh, yeah. it's not uncommon. Um, but I think if you have a plan during the waking hours of how you're going and you're a team supporting each other, you'll have much more success and you, know, you won't, you won't be yelling at your kids about at least not about sleep. <laughs> All right. Well, Kim, thank you so much. I know you have to run to go put more, uh, help more babies sleep through the night. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart. And guys, if you are listening right now, this conversation does not end here while this podcast is ending. Just go to the sleeplady.com. It's actually sleeplady.com. And you will find all of the information that we talked about today. She has unbelievable schedules. She has a great course and her book. Do not forget to buy her book. It is a critical piece of parenting equipment. Kim, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Love right. you, Kat. Love you too, mamas. And until next time, guys, you could find us at Twiniversity on all socials. And I will see you later, alligators.